Okay, up next is going to be a fantastic PGA professional turned a wonderful artist, and that is Chandler Withington. Before I get to Chandler, I want to remind you about two under men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador, and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris DeMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. That's the number 2, U-N-D-R.com. 2under, performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course, so make sure you're walking in the right shoes. Scone changes the game with an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip-on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean, too. So spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit scony.com and use code NXT on T20. So next on T20 at checkout for 20% off. That's scony.com, S-K-O-N-I.com. They're also available at golf specialty retailers and green grass pro shops nationwide. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. It's all in the hips. Just tap it in. Yes! Find the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. All right. Now next on the tee with me is Chandler Withington. Let me give you some background on Chandler. He earned his BA degree in golf management from Campbell University. He spent a couple of years as an assistant pro at Seminole Golf Club, then moved on to be an assistant pro at Canoe Brook Country Club in New Jersey, later moved up to be a first assistant at Marion Golf Club, and if all of that wasn't good enough, he became the head golf pro at Hazeltine. For the last couple of years, he stepped away to focus on his artwork. He has created great pieces for the USGA and the PGA of America. Go online to check it out at archive22.com, and I'm excited he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Chandler, thanks for coming on the show. Well, hey, Chris, thanks for having me on. So great to get to spend some time with you. How are you tonight? I'm fantastic. Thank you. So, Chandler, I want to go back to the beginning of your time in the game of golf. When did you first start playing? Who put a golf club in your hand? Yeah, look, I I grew up as a child of the late 80s, uh, early 90s. uh, So I didn't have a single friend that played golf. Uh, My parents, my family, I didn't know a single person that played. Um, I played baseball and hockey growing up. So my introduction to golf, uh, was really more of an accident than anything. We were down in Harbortown, Hilton Head Island, spring of 92, the week after the Masters, for the MCI Heritage was going on. Uh, we were staying with my cousins, who are the golf side of our family from Atlanta, uh, on Harbortown. And you know, the PGA Tour is going on in the backyard. And my cousins were like, you know, come on, let's go watch golf. And I said, no, thank you. You know, golf in, in my world at the time was the the game that you started playing when everything else fell apart when you couldn't run, jump, catch, swim, throw, you know, anything athletic, you started playing golf. That was my perception of the game. But thankfully they got me out to behind a par five tee. And, you know, for you or anybody listening, I mean, if you remember the first time you saw live professional golf, it, it grabs you. And, um, 
I watched guys at drivers and this was right when metal was coming into the game uh, for Simon Wood was still around. And then to go a little further, a, a younger player came around younger back then was 27. I think at the time, um, they didn't have a lot of 18 or 20 year olds like they do now, but, um, that player hit a persimmon driver out of sight. I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And we ended up following him around the rest of the week. You know, of course he went on to win and uh, I came home from that trip. Just telling my dad, hey, golf doesn't look so bad. I might want to try that out. And, uh, pastor of our church, maybe my first set of clubs and my education as a kid, um, cause I didn't have anyone to really show me how to play was I started VCRing. If you can remember those three letters, uh, <laughs> dating myself, I know you probably will, Chris, um, but I VCR, uh, whenever that player got in the contention in a tournament and play and rewind and play and rewind, just go in the backyard and try to imitate what I was seeing. And, and that was my introduction. So from there, what made you decide that golf management was what you wanted to do in college? Well, I don't think I decided it. I think people decided it for me. Um, I think uh, my longtime dream as a kid growing up was I wanted to be an architect uh, or an engineer. I was really fascinated by sports stadiums as a kid, and that's what I was running towards. Um, then you you have that fateful meeting with your guidance counselor, and they say, well, you know, Chris or Chandler, well, what are you going to do? What, what are you going to pursue at college? I said, well, yeah, I'm going to be an architect. And I remember my guidance counselor very kindly to saying, look, you, you're going to be great at it. Uh, but what else do you like to do? And I, I thought it was one of those kind, tell me more about yourself questions, uh, only to learn later that she was very nicely just saying, look, you, you have to have good grades to be those things. Um, architect. And uh, I I was, I was didn't apply myself as a student. So note to all the kids out there, you know, study hard. You'll have more options. Um, and when she asked me that, what else do you like to do? I, I was really the, equaling out my interest in architecture for golf. And um, when I learned about PGM programs like Campbell, and that you could go to school and there was a profession for golf. And I, I met a lot of club pros. Uh, that didn't feel like a fallback to me. And once I just kind of focused on that, uh, off I went and uh, the rest is history. But it, it wasn't my first choice. But uh, looking back now, I, I couldn't imagine the road being any different than what it was. Assistant pro at Seminole isn't a job that just anyone steps into early in their careers. How'd that come about for you? Uh, luck. It, luck and timing. I think most people I've talked to in their careers, you know, how do you end up there? You know, a lot of luck and timing. Um, my my first bit of luck was I worked at Canoebrook uh, for um, probably the most impactful person in my golf career. His name was Greg Lecker. Greg was the pro Canoebrook, but he was also a former assistant at Oakmont. And when I started working for Greg, I, I didn't know what Oakmont was. I didn't know who Bob Ford was, Seminole at any of these places. Uh, I just was looking for a good internship. And um, I got more than I bargained for, you know, not only the education from Greg, but the fact that he was willing to call Bob and say, look, I've got somebody who ought to spend a winter with you um, was really where that came from. I, I, again, just dumb luck. But again, I think when you get an opportunity, I did make the most of it. Um, and that's the opportunity that I was given at Canoebrook that really opened up all the other doors for me. So you go from Seminole to Canoebrook and then from there you're at Marion. Boy, you're off, you're off and running. Three, two, two of the you know greatest courses in our country. Talk about how you got uh, got on at Marion. Well, I think um, the the lesson that I would share with the listeners is you, you never know where the help is going to come from. I've already talked about dumb luck, but um, when I was at Seminole twice, I got passed over for promotions. So the first winter I was down there, um, an assistant at Canoebrook named Chris Muldoon uh, got the nod to go to Oakmont. And uh, I moved up the chain at, at Canoebrook and then I went back for the second winter at Seminole. And um, a great man named Nathan Olhoff uh, got the nod to kind of move up 
above me at Seminole. Well, you know, both of those people were the people who turned around and opened up doors for me. Uh, Chris Muldoon's twin brother, Kevin, was leaving Marion in the fall of 2006 to go to Shinnecock Hills. And I was starting to interview for head jobs. He called me up and said, look, there's an empty house here at Marion. You know, all three of us are moving on, uh, the lead assistant and the, the two seasonal assistants. And there was an opening. And um, while I, w- I felt I was ready to be a head pro, I mean, an opportunity to go to Marion um, and work for Scott and I and be a part of a place like that. Um, how could I not take the interview and in the pot fell? And um, I, I think getting to spend six years at Marion, you know, probably shaped me one to, to lead a Hazel team, but also just a lot of the things that I love to do now, which is uh, my love of history. My appreciation went through the roof when you work at a place like that day to day out. And you're talking about all the things that have happened at Marion and then uh, its place in the game um, as a, you know, of course that goes back to the late 1800s, but um you know, you, you've already kind of highlighted here. I've, I've had a blessed road, uh, but a lot of it's just luck, opportunity, but then uh, people really kind of turning around and help me out uh, and break through uh, some of the different doors that I was able to walk through. You were there at Marion in 2009 when the Walker Cup came through. Ricky Fowler, Brian Harmon on that U.S. team. Tommy Fleetwood was over on the Great Britain and Ireland team. Did you get to be a part of that Walker Cup? I was. and. And up until that Walker Cup, I didn't really, I didn't know about Walker Cup. I didn't understand what it was. We all knew about Ryder Cup, but um, I would say this, once you go through a Walker Cup, we, you know, you hate to talk about it on a show like this, because we always keep saying it's, it's the best kept secret in golf. Um, Walker Cups, one, where they're played, two, the, the type of players that you get to watch. I mean, look at the 2017 team at Los Angeles Country Club that had Scotty Scheffler, Colin Murakawa, uh, Will Zalatoris. Mad McNeely, you know, you name it, right? Camp Champ. Uh, you're watching these players without ropes, you know, smaller crowd, maybe five, maybe max 10,000 people at an event like that, playing match play in international competition. So being a part of that in 2009, I, I haven't missed one at home yet uh, ever since. Uh, I've had St. Andrews this fall for the Walker wow. Cup circuit on my calendar for years. Um, that is my favorite event in golf to go to in person. You know, you could put it the Masters or anything else right up against the Walker Cup and I'll choose the Walker Cup every time. So um, if I'm letting people in on a secret, you're welcome. Um, Don't miss it. In 2025, it's at Cypress Point. If you're not there, that's your fault. Uh, But it is, again, such a great event. Sticking with Marion, some of the greatest players of all time won major championships there. I got to imagine there are great stories. You heard a lot of great stories while you were there. What are some of your favorite stories that you heard while you were at Marion? Well, that's a great question. Um, as far as like, maybe like some stories that, um, that are, you know, that we don't really talk about. Um, here's what I would say about Marion when people come there and, and when I got there, then we knew the Walker cup was coming, but the USJ had just awarded the U S open to go back to Marion for the first time since 1981. And I think a lot of people had written Marion off as a major championship venue. I mean, the U S open was going to be under 7,000 yards. And in modern era game, right? It, that was kind of a, a risk. But as as we approached there, I mean, the mindset from people when they showed up there was, I mean, somebody's going to shoot 62 here, you know? And of course, you know, we just had a, well, we just had a 62 at LACC, right? Um, right. And, and you think that that was going to happen at Marion and it didn't. You know, Justin Rose won at one over. But I think some of my favorite moments were when, and I won't, I won't shine a light on somebody here because it wasn't a great look for him. But 
one really notable player showed up and he he started talking about how they're just going to break all the records here and we had a back and forth about it. i was like look i i don't think that's going to happen here this is a different place yes it's under seven thousand yards yes i think the usga is doing that intentionally uh to play with the players minds so that people start thinking exactly like you do um marion's a hard par 70 it's got six long fours you know four or five short fours three long threes one short three two par fives in the first four holes and then those last four or five holes i mean just hang on and uh, out of bounds you know in, in places that make people really uncomfortable um it's such a great test of golf and a fun test of golf um but chris i, I think more than any of the just the stories was just watching the perception of how that place was going to hold up in 2013 and watching how it did hold up uh, i'll share one here just one quick antidote from that was um i think it was on wednesday night 2013 us open matt schaefer the superintendent at the time uh, was on live from with rich Lerner and brandle and and the the rough mowers were going on in the background and again everyone's like they're going to shoot an ungodly number under par here and rough is kind of the defense to Marion and Brandel kind of looks at Matt. He goes, Matt, I, I got to ask you, what's going on with the mowers behind us? And he goes, yeah, we're, 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 we're mowing the rough to give the players a chance. And <laughs> Brandel starts, Brandel starts laughing. He's going, come on, Matt, like, Matt, I hate to tell you, but they're, they're going to absolutely, you know, shoot the lights out here. And Matt was so resolute. He just remembered him looking at Brandon. He goes, that's not going to happen here this week, you know, and, and then it, and it rained on Monday. The golf course was soft, but that just goes to show you what a test that place is. That you know, great players. Uh, you know, look at U.S. Open past history. I think in the last twenty years, we might have seen two scores over par. I think, I think Cabrera at Oakmont off the top of my head, maybe you know seven, and then and then Marion thirteen. But everything else has been in the red. So Chandler, you go from there to Hazeltine. When you were there, the Ryder Cup was played in in twenty sixteen. What's it like? preparing for and then hosting an event like the Ryder Cup? Unlike anything else, um, boy, it's, it's the it's the, big, it's the biggest stage and the brightest lights. Um, yeah, I've, I found out I was going to come to, to Minnesota just after USA lost the Ryder Cup at Medina in the fall of 12. And, um, and, then, and then USA loses another one uh, in 2014 in Scotland, uh, not even close as well. Um, my mindset, you know, for us, there's so much, there's so much preparation. There's the merchandise aspect and all the operations, like the practice facility and um, your locker rooms and your staff and things like that, that we had to look over. And then they had such a great committee and leadership team there to take care of so many of the, the grander details. Uh, my experience really changed when they named Davis Love to be the captain in February of 15. The, the player that I was referencing earlier in our conversation from Harbortown was Davis. That was my role model as a kid and who I wanted to be like uh, and emulate. And I got to meet him when I was at Seminole. Uh, Bob Ford made sure I got to caddy for him a few times in the pro member. Um, and we hit it off and it was great. And then we found ourselves connected again in Minnesota and Davis gets a second shot as uh, the captain for USA. So where things really changed for me is when he became captain, I, I just immersed myself in trying to understand the team USA side of things. Why did we, continue to lose and is there anything that I could contribute here from a golf course standpoint as far as how we set up and how we prepare the team to play here that could help Davis um that was unique for me I think had it been any other captain I probably wouldn't have been as involved as I was but uh the things the way that things went um you know Chris it was a dream for me it was you know a 20 out of 10 as far as the memory goes from that week 
You also had an opportunity to host a women's major. The women's PGA was played there at Hazeltine. What was it like hosting a major? Well, the so the women, um, first off, I think they're, they're the most appreciative bunch. Um, not that the men aren't, but the women are so appreciative. And then what KPMG does for the women's game, you just saw this last week at Balthastral, it's, it's easily like their biggest major as far as the production level, the scale of it. Um, so I'm a father of three daughters. So for me, wanting to appreciate the women was uh, was a priority. And uh, we just got to see golf through a different lens and, and still have some great relationship relationships with the women that passed through here. And uh, that was equally as a great memory. Uh, Panic Green from Australia got up and down the 72nd hole to win. And, um, you know, you go off and you have these relationships with these players as a, as a byproduct of it. But um, I'm just so glad that, you know, I got to play a role in appreciating women at the top level, just being that I live in a household full of them right now. So you walked away from the head pro job at Hazeltine and essentially bet on yourself as an artist. Talk about the decision to do that. Yeah, so I think um, there were a number of, of outside forces maybe pushing me in this direction in the summer of 21. Um, I, if I had to shorten the story, I'd say that the first one was just we had family movie night every Friday, you know, pizza and movie with the kids. And we were watching the movie Hook you know, with uh, Robin Williams, uh, Dustin Hoffman uh, from back in the late 80s, you know, where Robin Williams is a, a grown Peter Pan who's left Never Neverland and now has a family and his own business. And, you know, there's that scene that people have seen the movie before where you know, Robin Williams' character is, you know, he's been working on this big business merger deal and it's falling apart. And his kids are trying to play with him and he's yelling at the kids to get out of the room. And, you know, his wife kind of is the, the voice of sanity when she kind of says, look, Peter, up." How long do you think this is going to last? Your kids want to play with you. I mean, that that's going to be over tomorrow. And going through things like the Ryder Cup and KPMG and championships, which Hazeltine has so often that you mentioned, uh, U.S. Amateur are coming up there next year in another Ryder Cup. It's sacrificial. Um, you know, being a golf pro at any club is sacrificial. And I think that's just the summer that my wife and I started looking at each other and saying, "Look, I've I've had a great run. You know, you've already highlighted so much of it, Chris. I've had a great run. Um, I can be at peace." Uh, with what I've done and what I've accomplished and what I've contributed to places that I've been at. But uh, for us going forward as a family, I, I don't want to miss watching our three daughters grow up. And that's really what the decision was based upon was, um, was on them. And a few years into it, um, yeah, we were betting on ourselves. I don't think we knew what we were betting on. I think we were just kind of leaving with the hope of we'll find something that's a better fit for us in a, as a family. Um, and uh, what's come to the forefront is just, Going back to what I mentioned earlier about wanting to be an architect growing up, I kind of unearthed a, a drawing ability three or four years ago, and I combined it with my love and appreciation for the history of the game. And I just started drawing for me. I, I was drawing things for my office wall. I, I wanted to have things on my office wall that when people like yourself would walk in, you, you'd start pointing at some things and off we'd go. We'd end up talking about golf, you know, sometimes for hours. Um, and I, I never really anticipated that other people would want my scribble. Um, but it's become a business ever since. And uh, again, just a road that we didn't see coming, but um, so glad to be on it. So let's take that in, in more detail, Chandler. I mean, your, your art is something unique in the world of golf art, something that all of us would love to have framed in our offices or dens. You got to, you know, to have a 24 by 36 hand signed edition from you, from the, the host courses and the year and the player that won, whether it was, the U.S. Open or the Open Championship and other other tournaments that you're doing, but talk about in detail exactly what you're putting together. Yeah, so 
it, it kind of evolved a little bit in the the winter of 2018 to 19. I, I just got the drawing board out and was just messing around. I I like drawing things to scale, you know, not tracing, you know, kind of recreating things using kind of the architectural approach that I learned in high school as a kid when architecture was really done with a drawing board. You know, now everyone does it on AutoCAD or whatever program exists now. But for me, I was doing it by straight edges and compasses and measuring. And um, so I, I started drawing all the logos for all the clubs. Like you just mentioned, the U.S. Open, there are 52 now with LACC clubs that have held the U.S. Open. So I just started drawing all the logos and under each logo, like Marion, I would, you know, list, uh, you know, Owen Dutra and Ben Hogan, and Lee Trevino and David Graham and Justin Rose, you know, the players that have won at that, at that club and their scores. And it was more just to have Wikipedia on my wall. I, I wanted to have quick reference things, but again, things that would just get people talking about, you know, where have you been? What do you love? You know, where have you not been? Um, what are some of your greatest memories? What do you love about the game? Just get people talking. Um, but to your point, it's, it's all hand drawn. It's all color pencil. Um, nothing's traced. You know, people go on my Instagram, which is my name, Chandler Withington. Uh, I show a lot of time lapses just to help people understand how I, I draw and build it. And so with nothing being traced, it's kind of perfectly imperfect. Um, it's it's really close, um, but you'll you'll pick up on the hand-drawn nature of it. I, just in doing it for myself first, I think we got a chance to listen to people talk about the product before we even decided to go after this. So, you know, kind of ask people, I'm like, why do you like it? And and why would you pay money for this? And was able to listen to people for a few years before we jumped off and left Hazeltine and um, gave us a pretty good idea that if we were going to pursue this, uh, where would we start? But the uh, the other half of the equation is when you, you draw all these logos is they don't belong to you. And I, I had never heard the words intellectual property before um, until I, I started talking to the USGA and the PGA and uh, they were all on board with what I was doing. They they loved the look of it, and of course, it told the it told the story of their championships. Uh, but collectively, we had to go around to the the clubs that are on each piece of artwork and seek permission for use of the logo, and you know, to strike an agreement with every club. And uh, that was the that was the year of my life in 2022 was campaigning for this. And what I would tell you today, Chris, is the artwork. It's not really about anything that I've drawn anymore. Although I think it looks great, um, it came off great, and um, it's it's it catches your eye when you walk to an office or a home. But for me now, I think the story is just all these people in my life that got involved with that process at the, the various clubs to get it across the finish line. I think, um, you know, to be mayor or, you know, to to get into Senate or anything, you have, you have to get 51 percent of the vote uh, for this initiative. We had to get 100. You know, we, we needed everyone and um, we needed a group think. And momentum kind of took over. And again, a lot of people getting involved that believed in it and wanted to see it happen. And we launched the U.S. Open piece before Christmas last year. We've since added the PGA and the Ryder Cup. And um, I'm redrawing the Claret Jug for the RNA this week. And we hope to launch that piece in August. And um, I'm, I'm actually working on something for another sport right now. We have a meeting in a few weeks. It's something I'm really excited about. But um, again, we, we just didn't see this this path coming. Um, I'm energized by it. I wake up, I'm home with my girls, my family, and uh, I get back to the drawing board and the selling part of it. And my wife has been the one who's one allowed this to happen. She's she's blessed it and given it the opportunity to happen, but she's really immersed herself too in the just the entrepreneurial role uh, of a husband wife team uh, working out of our basement trying to make this happen. Um, it feels like we're at Q school. We, we probably made it through stage one, I would say. Uh, I think we're kind of at stage two and long way to go but uh at least we're progressing so where do you see this going i mean is this a 
you've got a store on your website. We can all go out there and, and take a look. And I want everyone to do that because the artwork is fantastic. But is it is it more than that? Is are you hoping to do something beyond having a store and having people like me go out there and buy your prints? Talk, tell me about what your vision is. I think in the same way, Chris, that an author uses their book to create speaking opportunities. I think we're just using the artwork. So we want to draw it first, uh, but now we want to start. I, I tried to remind the USGA and the PGA and you know the RNAs, look, I'm, I'm a storyteller who happens to draw, uh, not the other way around. Um, so we're drawing first, uh, but I think the storytelling component is going to happen. What that looks like, um, I enjoy the public speaking realm. I enjoy telling stories value-based stories, you know, things that I've seen in my life that I've experienced or that I've heard through other people uh, that teach lessons. But I think also just I want to start sharing my perspective on life and, and why I made this decision uh, to leave something that was so certain and so great uh, for the great unknown um, because it was focused on family. And um, I want to share that story with people. I want to engage people. I want them to have some urgency and some purpose to their life. You know, I'm I'm not trying to go on a world tour to tell everyone to quit their jobs, uh, far from it. Um, but I am trying to help people understand like what's most important in this life uh, and what do they leave behind? Um, because that's everything that I'm keeping in front of me right now. So I think there'll be a speaking component, um, you know, media. What does that look like? You know, maybe I'm, I'm doing what you're doing years from now. Uh, and then I think, you know, hopefully some writing. Um, I'm passionate about writing and reading and um, trying to capture what I've done also in written word as well. So. The artwork is the start, uh, but we hope the uh, the microphone and the podium and the platform will come next. Chandler, just a couple more before I let you go. And as I say, you've you've already got the USGA, the RNA, the PGA of America kind of on board with what you're doing. Are you looking to expand? You, I I know on your website you've got a wonderful thing from from Augusta National and the Masters. Talk about uh, who else you're looking to bring on board and get licensed. Yeah, I think that. Uh, a lot of people who who like what I'm doing that have asked that natural question. You know, we've got these four others going. What what about Augustine? I'll talk to them and be respectful. Look, they're a big organization. You know, to, to even get a look uh, at what I'm doing from them would would be impactful. Even if I could do something for Anwa or uh, the Drive Chip Putt. Um, but I think there's some other sports. We we kind of have this brand, um, which I was almost really surprised, Chris, to learn that there weren't a lot of other artists or companies really kind of capturing the history of sports. Um, so we're we're trying to jump into a lane with another sport. I have a meeting here in a few weeks with with another sport and same kind of brand, not not the same kind of artwork. It'll look a little different. Um, but there are also some, coming back to golf, there are some things that are immediate in golf uh that will also look a little different than just all the logo pieces. Um keep in mind, you know, architecture was uh something I was passionate about as a kid. So um I still have that hand, you know, for the buildings and infrastructure and things like that. And a way to combine it with some other things. So I don't think those five pieces will be it in golf. There's some other things, course maps, things like that, that I I want to get into, but uh, don't be surprised if you see me pop up in another sport very soon either. Okay. And with, with what you've already got, are you, are you updating them every year? I know you, you put the LACC one out there for, for the U.S. Open and the USGA stuff that you're doing. But, you know, I mean, the RNA, right? It, it, it's, it's the road, right? So you're not going to have to, go out there and get any new logos, but you will have additional winners every year. Is that something you'll, you'll be updating? Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Uh, we added Brooks Kepka to the PGA print um, and updated that, and that's out there on our store right now. We just added Wyndham Clark, and we had to add the LACC logo, but to your point, I mean, between the U.S. Open PGA, 
um, in the open. It should stay pretty much the same. Uh, the Ryder Cup will have to keep adding some some boxes and get creative about how we keep updating that one. But yeah, those pieces that you should see them stay out there for a while. Um, and uh, just a matter of when people want to jump on board and put something on their wall. But yeah, we will keep updating them for sure. And to let our listeners know again about your website, the things that you have available, how they can go out and get it. Because I tell you, one of the things that's high on my list is to get the one that's autographed by you. To talk about uh, what all the different things that you have available and how they can go see them. Well, yeah, thanks, Chris. I mean, we're we're less than a year old, um, so our catalog's not very deep. And I think if people understand just the time that it took uh, to get all these approvals and permissions, you know, U.S. Open took six months to. PJ and the Ryder Cup were close to nine months. Uh, so it's been a process to just even get some of these into the marketplace. It's the first time we've been able to get all these clubs to agree for use of their logo on the same page. So that's been a humbling process just in itself, but they've all agreed and now we get to share it with everyone. Uh, so you can find it on our website, archive22.com. Uh, we have the history of the US Open, the PJ and the Ryder Cup, uh, again, with the, with the Open Championship hopefully coming this August, and then a few other things in the works. Um, pay attention to the codes at the top of our storefront. Uh, there are bundle codes. If you're buying two, three or more pieces, you get a discount. Uh, but we'll also extend a discount to your listeners if they want to use the code archive family to get 20% off on their purchase. Uh, that'll be available to anyone who goes on our storefront. Uh, and then my Instagram, Chandler Withington, is where I'm at. Um, somebody introduced me to TikTok. Uh, somebody did a TikTok of me at, at the US Open and it, it took off. So maybe I got to understand how TikTok works. Um, I've got to catch up on Facebook and things like that. But again, we're we're slowly building. Uh, everything's kind of done organically here. So uh, we just invite people to find us on the journey. And uh, we'll be starting up a newsletter soon on our website that uh, people can sign up for. But um, people like you are helping us tell our story and, and get the word out about what I'm doing and where to find us. So I, I can be more appreciative of just the time you're giving me here to spend a little time on your show. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your night to come and be a part of the show. It's been great having you here. It's been great getting to talk to you a little bit uh, prior to the show. I hope we get the privilege of uh, catching up with you again soon, particularly when you're ready to announce what that other sport might be and the things you're doing there. I'd love to have you come back on and update us. You're fantastic, my friend. Thank you. No, you know, I'm always ready to talk golf and talk with people like you who love the game. I I learned something right before I came on. I, I have an Edel putter here in my, my uh, office. I went through the putter fitting with Edel. Like you, it's eye-opening, uh, the, the piece of equipment that we'd never get fit for enough. Uh, I had a great fitting with Mike, Mike Adams at Hamilton Farm years ago and uh, was eye-opening about how I aimed the putter and, and how far off my aim was. Uh, but, you know, yeah, so it's Same. I enjoy listening to your show as well, just, you know, my own information and staying relevant in the game. You do a great job. Well, I appreciate that very much. Chandler, take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Like I say, I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again soon. Yeah, me too. Uh, stay tuned. Hope to be back with you very soon. All right. Take care, Chandler. That is the great Chandler Withington, folks. And again, the website is archive22.com. Gave us a coupon code, archive family. Put that in there to get your 20% off. And you've got to really go on the site to appreciate how outstanding the artwork is. To think that he was just hand drawing things and he came up with what, uh, what he's come up with. And then, like you say, imperfectly perfect. That's what I love. I love the fact that it isn't done on a computer. It isn't done on a, any software it's done out of the out of the end of his fingertips and that's what uh, really sets the artwork apart and makes it special so go out there check it out and then uh, like i say hopefully uh, we get to find out what the new thing is and have him back on the show and update us again uh, here very soon 
Folks, before I close up shop tonight, you've heard me talk about some great products that I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show. And another one that stood out to me is On Point Golf. Game-changing, three-dimensional ball markers that science shows will help us see the line better when we're putting and therefore make more putts and lower our scores. See for yourself why Jim Furyk and I are big fans by going online to onpointgolf.us. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks go out again to Tom Patry, Rob Labritz, Doug Coors, and Chandler Withington for joining me this week. Scheduled to join me next week are a trio of the top instructors in the game who also happen to be great friends of the show and mine. We're going to start off with my paisan, Rob Strano. He'll be followed by Brian Jacobs from up there in Rochester, New York. Brian has been a wonderful friend of this show for many, many years. Looking forward to having Brian back as part of the show, as well as my man, Eric Johnson. He's out in Montana now and doing great stuff out there. Looking forward to having E back as part of the show. And then we're going to round it out with Greg Sabella from Unicor Launch Monitors. We'll learn about their great products and their great mini launch monitors. They're doing fantastic stuff. So looking forward to having Greg here. So it's going to be a really fun show. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. Folks, you can find the show available as a podcast just about anywhere you get your podcast content. In particular, we're out there on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audioboom, Player.fm, and on Good Pods. And my thanks to those folks for making this show one of their recommended podcasts. Go out there and download their free app and stream all of your favorite podcasts on your favorite device. But most of all, I want to thank all of you for being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next week. Hit him straight, my friends.